Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of London Calling, our very own property podcast brought to you by Corico Independent Mortgage Advisors. My name is Andrew Montlake, of course you can call me Monty, and I shall be your host to guide you through and investigate the very latest in the world of mortgages, property and the general financial world. This is London Calling. So this is the time of year when we usually see excitable lenders grappling for position in order to both finish the year with a bang and build up a pipeline which will start to complete going into the new year and 2015 is no exception. Some expected there to be a bit of cooling off due to lenders preparing for a new set of regulations coming in next year from our friends in Brussels, more on that another time, but this is patently not the case. Regulation has still had an effect, however, and is a reason why, in the aftermath of the mortgage market review, some lenders seem to still be playing catch-up. Whilst interest rate offerings are still incredibly low in both the residential and buy-to-let arenas, there are other issues in terms of affordability, lenders' criteria, and of course, lack of stock. The government have released their long-awaited housing bill, but will it actually do enough to help us build the right type and the right amount of homes the UK and especially London needs. To discuss all of this, we are honoured to have one of the leading lights in the industry joining us. Stephen Smith is the Director of Housing Partnerships for Legal and General Network. Welcome, Stephen. Good afternoon. And as ever, we also have Corico's Managing Director, Matt Lowndes, to jump in and offer his own thoughts uh, whenever he feels like it. Hi, Matt. Hello, Monty. So, first off, Stephen, welcome. You've been a, an industry stalwart for a number of years now, but uh, can you can you give us an, an overview of your day-to-day role within, within LNG? Well, I think I'm, I benefit from being one of the few people at Legal & General who's ever worked for a lender. Right. So given our presence in the market, uh, my background with what was then Abbey National Building Society and then the Mortgage Corporation and then Home Loan Management means that I understand a reasonable amount of what's going on in lender world. Uh, so whenever anything comes out like the new housing bill or like changes to mortgage regulation, it lands on my desk with a thump and people say, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> right. So, uh, so the I'm, go-to guy. It <laughs> seems to be the yeah. case. So I've spent my time wading through pages and pages of regulation. It's a bit more interesting these days, though, because I, uh, I, I run the, uh, the Mortgage Club, which is Legal & General's uh, distribution presence in the mortgage yeah. market. And also I'm on the board of some of the subsidiaries that... Uh, are active in different aspects of the mortgage market, like our surveying company and our equity release company. Right. So across the piece, I'm a sort of Mr. Housing Man within legal in general. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's good, and that's why we've got you here. Um, so I want to start off with housing and the whole question of new build generally. Um, it seems that London's going crazy with cranes everywhere and the whole place seems to be building site these days. But is enough being done to to build the homes people really need? And and what do you make of the government's new housing bill? Well, there's probably three aspects to that. I mean, one is, are are we doing enough in terms of building per se? Secondly, are we doing the right thing? Are we building the right houses? And then thirdly, what's the impact of the the housing bill? Um, To take those in order, first off, no, we're not building enough new houses, uh, new flats or new homes uh, generally in the UK. And we haven't been doing for many years. 
back in 2004, there was a very good study done by a lady called Kate Barker, mm. who I think yeah. is Dame Kate Barker yeah, now. Dame, yes. And she said we ought to be building about 250,000 new homes per annum for, yeah. to cater for the demographic changes. And that was 2004. Every year since then, we've never got above 150,000. So there's a million backlog yeah. to start with, let alone the fact that last year we only built about 130,000. So we're falling further and further behind. Now, if you're on the property ladder, that means you can feel reasonably confident your property prices are going to continue to drift up because yeah. there's more demand than there is supply. If you're not on the property ladder, and I really feel for young people today, how are you ever going to get onto that ladder? Mm. So I think fundamentally as a country, no, we're not building enough houses and we haven't done so for many years. And yeah. therein lies the root of many of the problems today. And the uh, so the, the starter home initiative that uh, that the government have come up with is in in this. Do you think that's is that, is that going to answer any questions? Uh, Shelter have already said that it's all very well having uh, discounted homes, but but actually they're still unaffordable even with the discount. <clears throat> well, I think all of us who've ever shopped in somewhere like. Um well, I won't mention the name, but you can imagine <laughs> branded retail outlets that are always on perpetual sale know that, right. you know, 20% off something. It's all right. We're not the BBC. I think you can uh, Well, you, 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 wonder, you wonder what the 20% is yeah. off. So I have a bit, a bit of yeah. a scepticism about that. But at least this initiative has the uh, the benefit of, of being on the on the supply side. It's actually intended <clears> to produce more houses. The problems that we've had with the previous schemes, uh, the, the Help to Buy 2 scheme, it was adding more to demand, but were not without stimulating supply. Yeah. Help to Buy 1 stimulated supply. House builders did build more more, build more properties uh, in, in response to the scheme. But Help to Buy 2 just simply stoked up demand into an already undersupplied market, yeah. therefore driving up prices. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the detail of it. Not a lot of detail published so far. And I think some of the builders are a bit quizzical about how it's going to work. And lenders, I think, will be quizzical about whether the discount can be applied against help to buy as well or mortgage Just guarantees. That, yeah. yeah. So, I, and I have to say, I don't know the answers okay. on that yet. The people I know at the CML don't know yet either. Yeah. Uh, a lot of work to be done. Because then that would be a big discount if you could get a 20% off whatever the so-called price is yeah. and then, and then you a, get then a, a help to buy, a uh, loan. Help to buy 20%. Yeah. You could be buying a house for 60%. 60%. And, and I'd like to think that it will result in more houses being built. I have a concern, however, that the, um, the new scheme will simply replace the affordable housing that was being built or is required mm. by builders to produce on sites uh, wherever they're active at the moment. Mm. And if it's just a substitution effect, then that won't add net to the number of new properties. Mm. I hope both schemes can run alongside each other. And um, what about the changes in in planning permission? Is that is that something that that's starting to filter through, or is it? It still seems to be the real bottleneck. I mean, and there's a number of aspects around that, like green belts. And I know you know in London, yeah. people seem to view green belts as as, as sacrosanct. But there's huge swathes of um, green belt that isn't really that green. Yeah. We own a big site up near, um, I think it's Junction Ten on the M1. Um, which, if there's a blade of grass on it, I'd be amazed. So several acres, <laughs> which could provide several thousand houses. That's but, a proper uh, brownfield site. It's then. certainly yeah. not green, but it's zoned as green belt, and it's yeah. therefore got restrictions on it, so to speak. Matt, do you want to uh, come in here? I mean, do you, yeah. do, as somebody that um, you know has all this knowledge and and uh, an understanding of what's going on, do, do, do you do we actually have the skills and the people to to build two hundred fifty thousand homes? I mean, have we, have we actually got enough? Can we can we gear up? Yeah, can we gear up? It's a very valid question. I mean, we haven't. Back in the seventies, um, we used to build three hundred plus thousand 
um, homes per annum. But that was at a very different era, and we had a lot more skilled people in the building trades. And the problem with the last 10 years is people have been driven out of, or they've, they've not been able to make a living in the building trades. So ramping up capacity for builders, let alone issues like bricks and breeze blocks and concrete and tiles and, and wood and ele electrical goods, all of those are supply constraints which are pulling back um, the ability to build new houses. So yes, we are beginning to re-import um, sort of Polish bricklayers and plumbers and so on. It's good to see some builders, though, um, actually putting in place uh, apprentice, apprentice schemes so that British people can learn those trades, hopefully for the longer term. But if you're a builder, you know, you need to have confidence these schemes are going to be around and you're going to be building houses if you're going to invest in, a, in an apprentice scheme. And, you know, your business, if you're going to invest in, in apprentices, you want to know that you've got a good long-term future, don't you? Oh, no, we, well, we do, so, uh, you know, mm. that, we, we, that's what we've decided to do because obviously the talent hasn't come through in it that way similarly. So yeah. just, just one other thing. I mean, I guess in the 30s there was, um, there was a massive housing boom um, and that appears, looking at the records, it was done by lots and lots of smaller builders. Mm. I mean, it, is there something to be, to be done on that side? I mean, we can't expect all the big, the big guys to do everything, you know. They, they, they've obviously got <coughs> shareholders and they're looking for slightly different profits and types of, I guess, ty types of property even. And they're trying to... Uh, that ties in with their they're trying to um, encourage custom build as well isn't it yes i think custom builds likely in in a lot of cases to be actually undertaken by sort of medium-sized developers on behalf of individuals who want a customized house mm. but just to pick up on matt's point you're quite right you know back in the day you'd have a local house builder who might build six or seven houses a year spec build for him to sell and then he might help the local council build 20 or 25 council houses he hasn't had that breadth of, of input recently and in the downturn it's those small builders who've really felt the uh, the crash and have by and large been put out of business so the concentration we talk in our mortgage industry the concentration of lending in the top six you can do a similar graph and it's even worse for builders the concentration into the sort of top 15 builders it, they're now building you know I don't know what the percentage would be 85 percent plus of the right. market wow. and the tail has by and large gone bust so whether we can recreate as a country those small builders I, I, I would probably doubt in fact and that's that is a problem in terms of responding to an upswing in demand do we have the land is the planning quick enough have we got the bricklayers and the plumbers have we actually got the bricks and all of those things are big challenges so when politicians in the run-up to the election were all talking about 200,000, 250,000, 300,000 new homes. finger in the air stuff. It's finger it? in the air. Yeah. We haven't a hope of building those numbers, not for many years yeah. yet. Well, I mean, in light of that then, it seems that, um, I'll keep my, my personal politics out of it, but uh, the decision to extend the right to buy scheme to a further 1.3 million housing association tenants from next year, selling off social housing when when more is needed doesn't seem to be the the brightest plan? Um, no, I think we would... Uh, seems as a bit ludicrous to as, me. As a company, we would say it's a bonkers policy, really. Yeah. And I think um, a couple of things on that. One is they don't actually own the housing association properties. You know, they, Technically, the government, so to speak, through local authorities, owns council houses. But housing associations in the main are charities. Yeah. So, you know, if I said I'm going to sell your car because it's a good wheeze, you might take exception to that. And understandably, <laughs> housing associations are pretty pretty much taking exception to the government saying yeah. we're going to sell off your properties. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is when they put a shot in the arm of the existing council house right to buy back about three or four years ago, it's about four years ago now, they said that they would replace every council house sold with a new build house. Yes. Up to this point, they've replaced every council house sold 
with an eighth of a new house. There've been only, there've been eight times more sales than there have been new houses built or actually even started. Right. So that doesn't augur well for the statement no. that they're going to replace one for one all the yeah. way through. And the, uh, yeah, there's just uh, social housing is almost it, it, it's it's not going to yeah. exist in a few years, is it? Well, I mean, it's it's nice for the people, and you know, um, good luck to them if they if they happen to be living in a in a nice housing association property and they can put their hand up and say we want to have the right to buy this. But that does remove a whole swathe of, of, of that type of housing. And I think it's probably sh- most sharply thrown into focus in, in rural areas <clears throat> where often, for example, a, a farmer might give up half an acre to put six mm. starter homes on the edge of a village. Mm. Well, he's not going to do that again if six months, six years down the line those move from being local homes for local people. Sorry, I'm sounding like the League of Gentlemen then. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> but local homes for local people, if they suddenly turn into the, you know, it's it's the musical chairs and the people who happen to be sitting there in 2015 got the right to buy them and off they go into uh, into private ownership forever. Yeah. That's all very interesting. And uh, the other thing that's 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 thrown up in, in the press, uh, they're very keen on it at the moment, is the fact that buy to let is is to blame for for everything and and landlords are are all evil and and actually that's that's the blame for pricing out first time buyers because the the landlords are snapping up properties before the first time buyers can can get them is that what do you do, think do you, of that is that ever, just do you ever think journalists like to paint things a bit simplistic no never no <laughs> i think that, yeah they really always go into the detail and put both sides of the argument in depth it it isn't polar like that it isn't polar like mm. that at all i think all we're seeing is the functioning of the market but to be fair it's not just the journalists there's a, there's a lot of people saying that mm. and and you can sort of understand because it the way the market's operating and it's not just the housing market here it's the annuities market as well and the investment market overall if you're looking for a good return on your investments or on uh, particular on your annuities if you're an older person and you're approaching retirement um because interest rates are low and gilt prices are low, you, your annuities returns are relatively limited. Mm. And you look over into the housing market and you think, and you know, there was a report out from Reed's Rains earlier on this week, UK rents are at the highest level ever. So there's a good rental return. Leave aside the, what are we on now, 6 or 7% per annum nationally house price appreciation yeah. going on. Yeah. So people can be completely forgiven for inv- wanting to invest in that market. Unfortunately, it goes back to the point I said at the beginning, we're not building enough houses. Mm. If supply doesn't keep up with demand, there's going to be a there's going to be a challenge. Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, no. I, 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 the other thing I was thinking is that I don't think, even if we are building, I don't think we're building the right things. So, so, so I, I, whenever I, you know, Monty's yeah. right. There's cranes everywhere in London, but you know. Do, why don't why can't people just buy a room? You know why 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 can't there be more sort of um, private equity style shared ownership? Why yep. is it always a through for sales ownership? We had a really interesting meeting yesterday with somebody. Yeah. I mean, you know, why can't sort of some guys club together and say, all right, we'll buy that house, and then we can somebody can have fifty percent of that, and we'll have the other. I mean, there's got to be some much more innovative ideas, surely. I, I, and I'd agree with that. I think one of the problems in our in the mortgage industry recently has been the lack of innovation. Um, and, and I think yeah. people like yourselves are, are very well positioned to challenge <coughs> lenders with bright new ideas. Mm. So uh, I was I was hearing a chap from RBS speaking a few weeks ago, who had they've done some research with all sorts of you know young people focus groups and so on these days, and they were looking at exactly that situation where four or five young professionals could buy a, a house jointly. Now they can do that at the moment, but if one of them leaves, the one who leaves can't get it revalued and yeah. just sell a quarter of it. Yeah. He's got the whole thing's got to be. They've got to, other people have got to buy him out. But I love the idea there, Matt, of, of being able idea. to buy a share that you can then trade on 
to somebody else or sell it to the people, the other people who are there who mm. may, then may rent it out. But portions of properties being sold, I think that could well be the future. Mm. And I'm also thinking if you built like a big, so, so the end of, uh, so the, the Northern Line, the Transport for London have just come up with, they're going to use their land, you know. It's a big horrible office block on top of Morden Station at the end of the Northern Line. You could decide, go, all right, well, we're going to do this differently. We're just going to sell the rooms, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're going to do your kitchen and everything else is all going to be provided by, like, almost like when you're a student, yeah. right? You you go down to a community. I mean, why, you know, this, surely that's, I, yeah. I would have thought that people quite, like, quite I, like that idea. I, I think they probably would. But I think I'm right in saying at the moment, most mortgage lenders will take a maximum of four people on a mortgage application. That's right. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Um, and what there isn't in place is a mortgage structure that would enable you to just mortgage your bedroom and a share of the living room type thing. Yeah. So this is why I'm saying, you know, we need to challenge lenders to be more innovative. Mm. Uh, you mentioned regulation at the beginning, and there's been so much regulation recently. Lenders, I think, can almost be forgiven for having given up on innovating things, because every year there's another mm. bit of regulation that means you have to change your computer systems. Yeah. But um, maybe we enter calmer waters once the uh, European directive is bedded in, and maybe we get the time for lenders to be able to do some of these bright ideas. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I'll, I'll I'll, I'll ask you about the uh, European directive um, oh, a bit any, later. Not any I, detail, I know please. I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone's interested in that. But uh, do you think young people are, are as bothered about owning their own homes now, or is is it generation rent and and are, me, well, are people more happy to be transient these days? I'm struck by the fact that I'm still quite proud of um, my CD collection, and um, <laughs> and I've actually got a big uh, audio cassette collection as well, but. Yeah. I've, they're quite I have got a cassette player to play them on but mainly I would play CDs at home neither of my kids um, if they've got half a dozen CDs I'd be amazed yeah but they're both subscribers to um, Apple Music yeah from which the, the entire world of music is at their fingertips mm. for nine quid a month which is mo- what I must have spent on CDs back in the day <laughs> yeah so they're quite happy not to own but to rent yeah Netflix you know how many of us have got exactly. walls of yeah, DVDs exactly, yeah. but they're all online yeah. now yeah and, and you're trawling through the cupboard to get the one out you want when yeah. you can just press a button and there Absolutely. it is yeah. <laughs> even I finally succumbed to uh, st- yeah. stop buying CDs much to my, my wife's so happiness may- maybe that attitude's going to f- fall over into or spill over into uh, home ownership and those of us who you know, there's great downsides to owning a home when the roof leaks and when it's raining and the yeah. grass needs cutting, and you think we rent. don't buy cars though, do we? I don't buy. That. Well, I've noticed no. that it's a yeah. massive thing now that everybody sort of does their personal lease. Yes, you know that's why the car industry reckons they're selling so many more cars because I don't have to worry about it if it breaks down. It's their problem. And I've seen adverts for um, all these car sharing sites now, where. You know, you don't need to, yep. if you need to get to Birmingham back on a regular basis, you set up, not exactly Uber, but a, a sort of regular sharing arrangement rather than um, owning your own car. So maybe the world is changing quite markedly. Maybe mm. there won't be a role for mortgage brokers in the future. Well, I'm sure there'll always be a role for mortgage brokers. Every, every, everyone always wants uh, wants good advice. Uh, and a good deal. <laughs> a good deal. A, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, what, uh, what what do you think the answers then? I know legal and general have been at the the forefront of some interesting plans, and including financing entire towns. I believe. Can you can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, it's again that was a great piece of uh, again uh, misreporting that um, <laughs> we were going to be building towns. I yeah. think it says. I, I think <laughs> Nigel Wilson are are, are very uh, stimulating uh, chief exec because he's 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 made the company a really interesting place to work. He was saying, quite rightly, that we would be very pleased to partner with local authorities or other bodies who want to develop new towns. Because yeah. new towns, and you can look across the history of the UK from, you know, whether it's Saltair in, um, in, in, in Bingley through to um, Telford and Milton Keynes yeah. and then 
Letchworth and Welling Garden City and all of those things, all of those have made a major contribution uh, to numbers of properties being built in a way that hasn't actually necessarily affected badly the remaining the remaining uh, population. And I think uh, what we would want to do is to partner with either firms or local authorities and help invest in the infrastructure. So our statement has been that we would like to help build communities rather yeah. than just building houses. We have a house builder, we've bought a house builder, and we are just building houses. But this would take it a step further and say, actually, if we get the numbers right, we can do something a bit more substantial in terms of building communities. And that requires the infrastructure investment as well. Yeah. So that's so that's one thing. We've got a number of schemes under investigation at the moment looking at that. So step change volumes of, of properties being built in certain localities. And then you're asking about other things to be doing. We'd like to bring um, some greater discipline to bear into the um, and standards to bear into the uh, buy-to-let, the private rented sector. Right. Because I think I'm right in saying, you know, there's there's over a million private landlords in the UK. There's a lot of big landlords, you know, with multiple properties, uh, institutions, some of them. and uh, But there's huge numbers of people who've got one or two properties, and that almost by necessity ends up meaning it's a cottage industry with variable standards and we all hear horror stories about rogue letting agents ripping people off and stuff. So we've started a scheme now in uh, Walthamstow, so North East London, where we're building about 300 units and we're building them to rent out long term. So we will own that block of flats or block of properties for the long term and we'll back that with our annuity funding because people need long term investments Mm -hmm. to back that with and we'll make sure that the property management is the best possible experience you can have and that way drives down void periods where people move out which means your rental income improves and you can guarantee this income for the longer term and if we can do that and we can prove it works we'll use that an example for maybe other cities in the uk and maybe other parts of london and maybe encourage other institutions Mm. to follow the lead on that that's a great idea. Yeah, I really like that. So it, it's uh, they're in planning at the moment. Yeah. It'll be a couple of years before the building starts to come out of the ground. But uh, in two or three years' time, you know, we'll actually have a, a block of legal and general flats, so to speak. Mm. Very good. And do you, do you think um, on on the question of new build a bit more generally? Do you think lenders, are, uh, mortgage lenders, are, understand the new build market? Do you think they're 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 best place to to actually? Do the lending, or it seems to me that a lot of them still struggle with the whole concept of new build. Uh, I, I think since the the crash, and I mean this this crash, the the two seven two eight crash was, it it made lenders react in a way they didn't react back in the nineties. Yeah. So I'm conscious of sounding a bit old and boring on this, <laughs> but back in the nineties, you know, lenders did not. The <laughs> they didn't stop. They didn't stop lending at higher loan to values. So there were still 95% mortgages available yeah. in 92 and 93. Very good point. You know, there's a minor mm. strike on and stuff, and, and the property markets had dipped by 20, 20 to 30%. Mm. But they were still lending at higher loan-to-values, which meant there was a greater degree of confidence. This time round, <clears throat> my perception certainly is that lenders jumped on the brakes. They Got thought, spooked. what's this? Absolutely. What's the simplest thing to do to minimise risk? We'll cut loan-to-value to 75%. Yeah. And that became a self-fulfilling spiral down. Mm. And then you get journalists again saying... Oh, you know, there's talk about lenders moving back into risky 90% mortgages. 90% mortgages aren't risky. Yeah, I'm totally 95% yeah. mortgages aren't risky. I would own a home if yeah. I couldn't have had a 95% no, mortgage. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I've never defaulted on a payment once. Yeah. Same here. And clearly round this table, all of us started with 95% mortgages. And if you go to the Bank of England or the Cabinet table, most of them will have... Well, yeah. not that the Cabinet table necessarily needs to borrow <laughs> mortgage money. But a lot of them would have started with 95% mortgages as well. So those have been the norm in the market rather than the exception. Mm. 
So do, do you think that, that lenders, once the, the help to buy schemes come come to an end, do you think lenders are ready to, to, to carry on offering 95% mortgages? We're starting to see some who, yes. who are doing. I think Santander Nationwide have. <clears throat> but And I think it, it, even when um, help to buy has been in there, um, what, for three years now? Something like three yeah. years now. There have been more lenders offering 95% mortgages outside help to buy than there have been inside help to buy, interestingly. And those lenders have either been self-insuring, uh, in some cases, or they've had arrangements with um, mortgage indemnity insurers. So I think you know there is the capability demonstrated that lenders can actually put these schemes together. So as far as I'm aware, the CML is actively working on it, mm-hmm. and I'm aware of another insurance company who's working on it as well to come to lenders with a proposition saying, once this scheme finishes, you can move over to our scheme. So I think it's. I, I don't think we need to fear for the future of ninety-five percent mortgages. I think they'll definitely be with us going forward. Good, hundred percent mortgages. Step too far? Maybe a step too far. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm uh, not a fan although, personally. I, I believe that people should put in five percent deposit at least. I think it's a. Uh, it, it, it's um. If you look back and and, and look at the uh, the credit history of people like Northern Rock, even some of their together mortgage products yeah. where they were lending over a hundred percent. What they were doing there was institutionalising what people do anyway, because a lot of people move totally. into a house and then take out personal loans Absolutely. or credit card debt, and at least it was all under one banner and probably at a yeah. lower rate than on the credit card. And those loans, as, I, as far as I'm aware, haven't performed badly. You know, in mm. relative terms, they haven't performed badly. So maybe, but I can see the regulator taking a really dim view of that. Yeah because of the headlines and it's yeah, be Daily Mail all over again and you I know. think yeah they're, 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 the press are waiting for the, the, press are the waiting first for 100% that. mortgage Matt but, but it's, about, it's, it's crazy isn't it because when you take out rent on a property right you're 100% Right, because you can't just yes. pay the you no, can't just yeah. pay the land on ninety five percent, right? Yeah, so, so point. for me, yeah. right, and re- and let's face it, taking out a mortgage at the moment is going to be cheaper than rent in London. So, surely if you've got a track record of paying three, four years rent, the lender should mm. be able to do that, knowing in full certainty that that, that the person yeah. can afford the mortgage. Part of it's a hangover <coughs> from this thing about risk and the the risk kings who came to the fore in the in the lenders. Um, if you look simplistically at lender experience, they lose less money the lower the loan to value if they ever have to repossess obviously so to speak I don't think you can demonstrate a lesser propensity to pay at higher loan to values than lower loan to values people either pay or they don't mm. and when people don't pay it's often down to divorce or short time yeah. working or illness and things yeah. the, the numbers of people who out of you know bloody mindedness don't pay their mortgage I think is actually small Yeah. so yeah you may be right maybe but I think uh, yeah the press I, I think will be waiting I do understand the risk I do understand yeah. how much money you've got to have put aside and all the Basel stuff and everything yeah. else I, I understand all that it's just, it just seems a bit daft but you can you know lenders can uh, lenders can overcome that with the higher margin they can charge because they doubtless charge more on 100 than they would on a 95 absolutely yeah. bring the MIG back Monty yeah. Yeah. bring back MIG did you just start a campaign to no. bring back MIG no, but then, go, but then I go back to the shared ownership thing, where you actually you could get a company, not not a Wonga type thing, but you know you could have. Well, people, I mean, you know. uh, uh, what I'd like to see back is is the old uh, top up loans, top which up? the yeah. uh, insurance companies offered. That's that's yeah. how I bought my first house. No, and, well, there you go. I mean, I think rather both with that and with uh, mortgage indemnity insurance, what we what we discovered after losing. Um, quite a lot of money <coughs> back in the day <laughs> right. um, was that our interests and the lenders' interests weren't always completely mm. aligned. Yes, and um, 
you know, I'm not saying that lenders didn't care if they'd got big mm. on the top 25%, but I don't think they cared as much as if it had been their own money. And that meant that sometimes we ended up with deals with the top slice of risk associated with us that we shouldn't probably have been in. Mm. And after all, they're lenders, we're insurers. Um, we should do insurance, they should do lending, and we shouldn't necessarily try to blend the two. You, I, should, just ch- you should just insure their 5%. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. I don't think we'll be going back into that no, I'm not anytime, sure soon. anytime soon. <laughs> you heard it here first, yeah. folks. Um, right, I'm going to make an executive decision. Normally we take a, a little break here, but what I'm going to do is, is split this into two. I think we've had that. That's been brilliant on, on that subject. Okay. And, um so thank you for listening to for the first part. Um, this is London Calling, the property podcast from Corico Independent Mortgage Professionals. Um, we'll have more from Stephen and Matt in uh, in part two. Thank you very much.